Chapter thirty five of Fenton's Quest. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kirk Ziegler. Fenton's Quest by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. Chapter thirty five. Bought with a price. Ellen Carley was not allowed any time to take back the promise she had given to her father, had she been inclined to do so. Mr. Whitelaw made his appearance at the Grange early in the evening on the 2nd of January, with a triumphant simper on his insipid countenance, which was inexpressibly provoking to the unhappy girl. It was clear to her, at first sight of him, that her father had been at Wencombe that afternoon, and her hateful suitor came secure of success. His wooing was not a very romantic episode in his commonplace existence. He did not even attempt to see Ellen alone, but after he had been seated for about a half an hour in the chimney-corner, nestling close to the fire in a manner he much affected, being of a particularly chilly temperament, given to shiver and turn blue on the smallest provocation, he delivered himself solemnly of the following address. I make no doubt, Miss Carley, that you have taken notice for some time of my past sentiments towards yourself. I have never made any secret of those sentiments. Neither have I talked much about them, not being a man of many words. I used to fancy myself the very reverse of a marrying man, and I don't say, but what this moment I think, the man who lives and dies a bachelor does the wisest for his own comfort and his own prosperity. But we are not the masters of our own feelings, Miss Carley. You have grown upon me lately somehow, so that I've got not to care for my life without you. Ask Mrs. Tadman if my appetite hasn't fell off within this last six months to a degree that has frightened her. And a man of my regular habits must be very far gone in love, Miss Carley, when his appetite forsakes him. From the time I came to know you as a young woman, in the bloom of a young woman's beauty, I said to myself, that's the girl I'll marry, and no other. Your father can bear me out in that, for I said the same to him. And finding that I had his approval, I was satisfied to bide my time, and wait till you came round to the same way of thinking. Your father tells me yesterday afternoon, and again this afternoon, that you have come round to that way of feeling. I hope he hasn't deceived me, Miss Carley. This was a very long speech for Stephen Whitelaw. It was uttered in little gasps or snatches of speech the speaker stopping at the end of every sentence to take a breath. Ellen Carley sat on that side of a comfortable round table most remote from Mr. Whitelaw, deadly pale, with her hands clasped before her. Once she lifted her eyes with a piteous look to her father's face, but he was smoking his pipe solemnly, and his gaze fixed upon the blazing logs in the grate, and contrived not to see that mute, despairing appeal. He had not looked at his daughter once since Stephen Whitelaw's arrival, nor had he made any attempt to prepare her for his visit, this rapid consummation of the sacrifice. "'Come, Miss Carley,' said the former rather impatiently, after there had been a dead silence of some minutes. "'I want to get an answer direct from your own lips. Your father hasn't been deceiving me, has he?' "'No,' Ellen said in a low voice, almost as if the reply were dragged from her by some physical torture. If my father has given you a promise for me, I will keep it. But I don't want to deceive you on my part, Mr. Whitelaw. She went on in a somewhat firmer tone. I will be your wife, since you and my father have settled it that it must be so. But I can promise no more than that. 
I will be dutiful and submissive to you as a wife. You may be sure only— Mr. Whitelaw smiled, a very significant smile, which implied that it would be his care to ensure his wife's obedience, and that he was troubled by no doubts upon that head. The bailiff broke in abruptly at this juncture. "'Lord bless the girl! What need is there of all this talk about what she will be and what she won't be? She'll be as good a wife as any woman in England. I'll stake my life upon that. She's been a good daughter, as all the world knows, and a good daughter is bound to make a good wife.' Say no more about it, now. Stephen Whitelaw knows he'll make no bad bargain in marrying you. The farmer received this mark with a loud sniff, expressive of offended dignity. Very likely not, William Carley, he said. But it isn't every man that can make your daughter mistress of such a place as Wincombe, and such men as could do it would look for money with a wife, however young and pretty she might be. There's two sides to the bargain, you see, William and I should like things to be looked at in that light between you and me. You've no call to take offense, Steph, with a consolating grin. I never said you wasn't a good match for my girl, but a pretty girl and a prudent, clever housekeeper like Nell is a fortune in herself to any man. Then the matter's settled, I suppose, said Mr. Whitelaw, and the sooner the wedding comes off, the better to my mind. If my wife, that is to be, wants anything in the way of new clothes, I shall be happy to put down a twenty-pound note, or I'd go as far as thirty towards them. Ellen shook her head impatiently. I want nothing new, she said. I have as many things as I care to have. Nonsense, Nell, cried her father, frowning at her in a significant manner to express his disapproval of this folly, and in so doing, looking at her for the first time since her suitor's advent. Every young woman likes new gowns, and of course you'll take Steph's friendly offer, and thank him kindly for it. He knows that I'm pretty hard up just now, and won't be able to do much for you, and it wouldn't do for Mrs. Whitelaw of Wincombe to begin the world with a shabby turnout. Of course not, replied the farmer. I'll bring you the cash tomorrow evening, Nell, and the sooner you buy your wedding gown the better. There's nothing to wait for, you see. I've got a good home to take you to. Mother Tadman will march, of course, between this and my wedding day. I shan't want her when I've a wife to keep house for me. Of course not, said the bailiff. Relations are always dangerous about a place, ready to make mischief at every hand's turn. Oh, Mr. Whitelaw, you won't turn her out, surely, your own flesh and blood, and after so many years of service. She told me how hard she worked for you. Ah, that's just like her, growled the farmer. I give her a comfortable home for all these years, and then she grumbles about the work. She didn't grumble, Ellen said hastily. She only told me how faithfully she had served you. Yes, that comes to the same thing. I should have thought you would have liked to be mistress of your house, Nell, without anyone to interfere with you. Mrs. Tadman is nothing to me, answered Ellen, who had been by no means prepossessed by that worthy matron but I shouldn't like her to be unfairly treated on my account. Well, we'll think about it, Nell. There's no hurry. She's worth her salt, I dare say. Mr. Whitelaw seemed to derive a kind of satisfaction from the utterance of his newly betrothed Christian name, which came as near the rapture of a lover as such a sluggish nature might be supposed capable of. To Ellen there was something hideous about the sound of her own name spoken by those hateful lips, but he had a sovereign right so to address her, now and forevermore. Was she not his goods, his chattels, bought with the price, as much as a horse at a fair? 
that nothing be wanting to remind her of the sordid bargain mr whitelaw drew a small canvas bag from his pocket presently a bag which gave forth that pleasant clinking sound that is sweet to the ears of so many as the music of gold and handed it across the hearth to william carley i'm as good as my word you see he said with a complacent air of patronage there's the favour you ask me for i'll take your i o u for it presently if it's all the same to you as a matter of form and to be given back to you upon my wedding day the bailiff nodded assent and dropped the bag into his pocket with a sigh of relief and then the two men went on smoking their pipes in the usual stolid way dropping out a few words now and then by way of social converse but there was nothing in mr whitelaw's manner to remind ellen that she had bound herself to the awful apprenticeship of marriage without love but when he took his leave that night he approached her with such an evident intention of kissing her as could not be mistaken by the most inexperienced of maidens poor ellen indulged in no girlish resistance no pretty little comedy of alarm and surprise but surrendered her pale lips to that hateful salute with the resignation of a martyr it was better that she should suffer this than that her father should go to the gaol and that thought was never absent from her mind nor was this sacrifice to filial duty quite free from the leaven of selfishness for her own sake as much as for her father's ellen carley would have submitted to any penalty rather than disgrace to have him branded as a thief must needs be worse suffering than any lifelong penance she might endure in matrimony to lose frank randall's love was less than to let him learn of her father's guilt the daughter of a thief she said to herself how he would despise himself for ever having loved me if he knew me to be that end of chapter 35 recording by kirk ziggler ogden utah voiceovers by kirk.com